0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming back to The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm Sue Heilbronner, your host, and you know that Real Leaders is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story of some of the most authentic, innovative leaders I know. As always, The Real Leaders Podcast is sponsored by Leadership Camp. You can learn more about an immersive conscious leadership program that helps make great leaders extraordinary at leadership.camp. Now, before we jump in, As always, I just want to make that one ask. If you like this episode, go listen to others. If you like this one or more than one, please take a moment and go through the somewhat inconvenient process of rating this podcast on iTunes. It really matters. Today, I am psyched to be joined by Matt Vogels, the CEO of Zestful, a company you're going to be hearing much more about, and you've probably already been hearing about it if you're joining us today. Matt, thanks for being with us on Real Leaders.
1: I'm so excited to be here.
0: Okay, Matt, you probably know this. So the way we kick off this podcast is a three-minute life story of our guest. Over to you.
1: Wow, three minutes. I'm going to try to keep it to three minutes, um, and I'll do the long story short version. I was born here in Colorado, in actually Boulder, Colorado, And then ultimately moved around a lot as a kid, starting at three years old, moved to Phoenix, Arizona, moved back to Colorado about a year later. And then from eight to 18, I moved 13 different times. Uh, We moved first to Chile. So I lived in five different places in Chile from eight to 13, back to Baghdad, Arizona uh, for, for about a year and a half. And then to a small island in the South Pacific called New Caledonia, which was a French Polynesian island for about a year and a half. And then Australia for a year to Reno, Nevada for a year. And then finally back to Colorado for what was my ultimately my senior year of high school uh, when I was about 18 and then have been mostly here ever since for the last 10 or so years with a one and a half year stint in San Francisco I graduated from University of Colorado with a degree in finance and economics and then ultimately graduated and never used any of it and got directly into product and started to do product design, a little bit of website design, uh, which ultimately led me to doing a lot of freelance web design, which is where our paths have crossed in the past. It's ultimately where I ended up working for an amazing company called Webflow, which is what brought me to the Bay Area in the first place which is then what kind of triggered my, my compassion or passion for really it started as the future of work, but really figuring out what makes employees feel rewarded and recognized, which is ultimately what led me to starting Zestful.
0: Wow. Matt, why did you live all those places as a kid?
1: <laughs> um, my dad, I always kind of joke, I put in quotes here, he was an accountant <laughs> for uh, different mining companies. And, and ultimately, mining obviously is all over the world, but certainly a lot of places in in South America, Chile being uh, a main source of that. So, so ultimately, it's just as a kid with you know my mom, my dad, and my two siblings, we moved around a lot just to accommodate my dad's job. And I look back at it as being, it was very hard when we were doing it, obviously, uh, having to become basically detached from not only your your house or your home, but your friends and everything that you you hold dear. But then looking back now, I see it as the reason of who I am today, being able to adapt the way that I do, being thrown into situations where typically you have very little knowledge of what's going on around you and having to, to kind of pull yourself up by your wits. So hard when we were doing it, definitely glad that it was a part of my upbringing.
0: Matt, you and I have done some work together and that's how we met, which has been a privilege for me. But one of the things we talk about and I've talked about in this podcast before is the Enneagram personality type system. And we both know that you're an Enneagram type seven, the enthusiast. And one of the features of that personality type is sort of a shiny penny syndrome, really being someone who embraces lots of new experiences. And I've really never connected your upbringing to that personality type. Have you thought through that?
1: Absolutely. I think as soon as we started playing around with this, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I've wondered if because of the upbringing, that's the reason why I have that shiny object syndrome because I was so used to growing up. You know, we'd leave a house in a year and I would make friends and these things and it would ultimately, I would, we became very excited. We would call them our family meetings. So my dad would say, all right, we're doing a family meeting and we knew that we were moving somewhere. And after a while, it was actually something that we looked forward to, where we didn't like to be in one place for more than a year. And I really liked the experience of trying something new and being thrown into something new. And I think that my personality today directly reflects that. One of the challenges that I have in anything that I do is making sure that I can ride something out till the end and making sure that I can finish it without jumping onto something else too early.
0: So I want to talk about the transition that you've made in your career. Because it really goes right to this point. You were working for companies and then you started to realize that you could do really well if you were focused on product and some website design on your own. And you were doing tons of freelance work. You were incredibly busy. You couldn't really take any more new clients. And you started using this product called Webflow. Do I have that sequence right?
1: Yep, that's exactly right. Before Webflow, it was ultimately just using Photoshop and other design tools and then using an engineer, some sort of developer that I would work alongside, or I would do some some template tweaking. But, but yeah, that's right.
0: So people ask me often, mentees ask me often how to find the right job and how they can make inroads in a place where they really want to work. And your story about how you ended up working at Webflow as a full-time employee is a really interesting story. Would you mind sharing that?
1: I'd love to. So ultimately, it was in, must have been 2013. Uh, Webflow was shortly coming after or out of Y Combinator, which is an accelerator in San Francisco. And somebody had introduced me to them via a post on TechCrunch, I believe it was. And at the time, like I said, I was doing freelance on my own, but I was relying very heavily on a developer or somebody else to really build these websites for me. And I was really excited when I saw Webflow because ultimately what it was going to do was give me the ability to design and develop at the same time. And I didn't need a developer to kind of bring these sites to life. And I very quickly kind of became, I think, one of their biggest users and also one of their most annoying users. And I remember at one point Vlad, the CEO, he sent me an email and he was like, hey, just so you know, we we have some job openings that maybe you should come and work for us. Because at this point I was sending – Multiple emails a day and you know, obviously they were very busy and if they didn't respond I would try to send them tweets and like try to direct message them with things because I think that I was using it very early for real sites like i was using it for production ready sites i had clients that were relying on it so when things broke i was like I, this needs to be fixed immediately and i think at the time i remember vlad saying like well yeah we don't we don't really recommend maybe using this for as many sites as you have and <laughs> i was definitely pushing the boundary it was such an incredible experience for me because looking back at it it was maybe one of the more pivotal parts of my career because not only did it, it allow me to take full ownership and control of my craft, which in this case was working with clients and building websites, but also was my first introduction into true early startup dumb, where obviously I had worked at other companies, startups. I mean, PaySimple being one of them, it was maybe a startup, but at that point established you know dozens of employees, close to 100 employees. And Webflow was really just the four founders and two other employees. So it was, there was six of us, which was very early. And that was my first introduction to that world that I very, very quickly fell in love with ultimately and and knew that I was going to start a company of my own at some point. But in the interim, I I loved working at Webflow and then fell in love with working with with clients. And and that kind of comes back to my personality as well. I think freelance gave me that perfect blend of being able to hop from one client to another. And Webflow allowed me to build these sites so quickly that in many cases, I mean, for multiple months, I was maybe building as high as 10 websites a month. And that really fed my my ability to be able to hop around from project to project and not get bored.
0: That makes perfect sense. So, mm-hmm. and it brings me to my next question, which is you're doing all this work, perfect for your personality. You are making bank and had all the work that you needed working with some pretty extraordinary people and companies. Mm-hmm. And you decided to create a new company called Zestful. And I think you built that first website for Zestful on Webflow, if I, if I have this right. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And it may still, I have no idea. But you'll tell us about that. How did you make a decision to let go of a pretty lucrative mm-hmm. business that you had built with great clients and jump into creating your own startup?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's maybe multiple answers to that. I think one thing that I that I learned pretty early is that I'm a horrible employee. Uh, even and I, I use Webflow as the perfect example of this because I, I believe that there is no perfect job for me out there that Webflow could beat. I mean, ultimately I think that it was a product that I loved still to this day, probably more than any other product in the world, that I relied heavily on. I loved telling people about it. And even though I was an early employee, had full control and opportunity to drive the direction of that company in many cases, it still wasn't enough to keep me happy, or at least happy enough to where I would wake up in the morning and it was the only thing that I wanted to do. I I was bitten by this bug, I feel like, that I needed to start a company of my own. And part of that was when I was living in San Francisco, I was constantly meeting with new founders, new CEOs, managers. And I I knew that when I was in San Francisco, I wasn't going to be able to live there forever. It's a beautiful city, still one of my, my most favorite cities in the world. But living there was a little overwhelming, if anything, because it was everybody is starting a company, everybody's raising money, the conversations felt all the same. And it sometimes drives you a little bit, little bit nuts, but I wanted to take advantage of it while I was there and, and talk to as many founders as I could. And I think there's no better place than San Francisco. There's no higher concentration of brilliant people, especially in startups than in San Francisco, in my opinion. So I was constantly meeting with these people and it was just making it harder and harder to not wanna start a company. I was being so drawn into this idea of having full control, full responsibility of starting something and ultimately being able to 100% guide the the outcome of that. And I I remember meeting with all these founders, and this is kind of what led me into starting Zestful. Obviously, I I would always ask them what the more difficult part was of starting a company. And every one of them had their own unique problems, uh, especially if it was unique to the problem that they were solving or the business they were building. But almost every single one of them had said, you know, keeping my employees happy is becoming something that's more difficult for me and in in, regardless of company size, it was still one of the things that kept them up at night. It was how do I keep my teammates, my team members engaged, rewarded. And in San Francisco, where salaries, we call it the salary wars, kind of get out of hand where at any time you could have an employee that's poached away for $300,000 a year, $400,000 a year to Facebook or Twitter, some of these larger companies. And there's only so much that you can really offer to them to beat that out. And one of the things that I always felt was there there are certain things that you can do at a personal level to keep people happy. And at Webflow, we explored some of these, um, giving allowances or or bonuses or rewards that you could use on things that you cared about. Uh, I tried to talk to other companies to see if they were doing something similar. And even if it was something like paying for Spotify or Netflix or maybe cooking classes or music lessons, things that from the individual side felt more than the monetary value that they were worth – And the the feedback we got from employees and companies was great. It was like, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. How do we do that? Because it's funny, as a small company, it's hard to do because there's really no one that's there that can actually manage a program like this. And then the larger the company gets, it gets equally as hard, if not harder, just because the scale. There's so many people. You now need multiple people to manage a program like this. So there wasn't really a tool that I found that, that made it easy for these companies to offer a wide variety of perks, but ultimately eliminating that reimbursement program. And and that's really where Zestful came from.
0: All right. So we got to hear a little bit about Zestful. I want to take a step back from that, and then we'll come back to to learn a little more about this. The first thing I want to do is I want to give our audience a caveat, which is, gosh, Matt, you and I met in 2012. We worked together. Matt, is essentially responsible for every brand and every company's branding that I've launched in the last six or seven years. Matt knows this, but I often regard him, I often talk about him as like a top five most talented person I've ever had the privilege of working with. So That's a caveat. I bring to this table a lot of bias. Most importantly, I'm an investor in Zestful, and I just wanna say that out loud. I'm a really small investor in Zestful, but for me, it's a meaningful investment as actually are all investments by all angel investors. So just to put that out there, and that has a lot of basis in Matt being the creator of the brand Merch Lane, my personal brand, the brand of this podcast, the brand called Leadership Camp. Uh, that, that is all Matt's work that you see all around me and, and the work that I do. So thanks, Matt.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate it because I likewise can attribute all of those projects and so many more. And ultimately, if Webflow is maybe one of the more important parts of my career, I think meeting and working with you is certainly going to be up there in the, the top two, if not top one. Thanks, Matt.
0: Okay, so we've got that out of the way. Now, I want to talk about the early founding of Cessful and how you managed financially to keep this idea afloat, to keep it moving, the decisions you made about co-founders and accelerators, and how you were handling managing your own personal life and finances using your freelance business during that transition time.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess, do you want me to give the kind of the long story of, of yeah, Zestful? Give, sure. I
0: might interrupt you at times, yeah, but sure, fine. let's hear the long yeah.
1: story. So when, when I decided I wanted to start Zestful, it was exactly what I said, which was I wanted to create a program that made it easy for companies to offer a wide variety of perks without the reimbursement program. And we started that idea, me and my co-founder, Jeff, who was also at Webflow with me, started it in October of 2016. And we immediately, are really close, applied to YC and Techstars right around the same time. We were very early, basically no product. We had an idea. We had spoken to a lot of customers. So we had some momentum, but ultimately, we didn't really have a product in place. Uh, within, I think, three weeks, we got an invite to go and interview with YC, and then we were in YC by December 1st. So very rare, I think, opportunity, ultimately, it's uh, to get into Y Combinator is like a a two or 3% acceptance rate. And the fact that we got accepted with basically, basically nothing, and I don't mean that as in like nothing as far as products, but certainly nothing as far as the, the time that we had spent on it, was both a blessing and a curse because it immediately gave us uh, 120 grand from YC. And we ultimately, we raised a couple, uh, about another 100, 100 grand from, from friends and family. We used that as momentum to jump into this idea.
0: So you mentioned Techstars. Mm -hmm. and that you also applied to that program. They were on a fairly similar timeline. Mm -hmm. And because lots of people apply to both of those programs, the world's most dominant accelerators, if you're game, I'd love for you to tell the story of both of those paths.
1: Absolutely. I think that and now I'm a mentor even currently at Techstars, so I feel like I have a really good idea of both programs. And they're very different, both the process of applying and getting in, but also when you're in those programs, they're very different as well. The, the interview process for YC is very it 's intimidating, but it 's also very quick and easy compared to tech starters. YC, you submit your application, you get an email that says, "Hey we 'd like you to come and interview," and they pay for your plane ticket. you go out to San Francisco, you meet with them for 10 minutes, and that 's it. So you walk into a room, they ask you questions for ten minutes, you leave the room you hang out for a few hours. And then at the end of the day, they either give you a phone call or an email. If they email you, it's to say that you weren't accepted. If it's a phone call, it means that you, were ex- or, uh, you weren't accepted for email. You are accepted for phone call. So later that night, we got the phone call and we were accepted, which was great. But again, it felt like we hadn't really had to do that much where tech stars at that point, I think we had interviewed three times. We had gone to a couple of the tech stars, like uh, you know, meet the, the mentors and programs in between. So we were trying to you know, show face for these folks that ultimately would be interviewing us at some point. So the process for Techstars was certainly more in depth. We met with them multiple times, had you know over an hour's worth of just the interviews compared to the 10 minutes of Y Combinator. And ultimately what it came down to was that Y Combinator said yes before Techstars did. Uh, we were in the final interview stages of Techstars going into the final day for YC. And ultimately, it came down to the fact that Techstars was just not close enough to being able to make the decision to say yes to us. And Y Combinator, it's funny, they don't really give you an option. They kind of do. But it's when you get accepted into the YC, it's not a, yeah, well, you know, uh, you should think about it and just let us know. It's, you're accepted into YC. We'll see you on the first. And then that's it. <laughs> click And it's done.
0: Uh, okay. All right, well, I interrupted you. So, And I just want to point out, you you had applied to Techstars Boulder and YC was in San Francisco and you had decided Mm -hmm. that you wanted to stay in Denver. So it wasn't a simple decision for you.
1: It wasn't. And ultimately, I I would have preferred, certainly at the time, I preferred to do Techstars. I really wanted to stay in Colorado. Um, At this point, you're exactly right. I kind of skipped that. At this point, I moved back to Colorado when I started Zestful. So I was already here. I, I still do. And I want Zestful to be one of the largest startups to come out of Colorado period. I want the ecosystem in Colorado, the startup ecosystem to grow. And I felt like Techstars was such a beacon of hope for that. I wanted to be a part of that so badly, but ultimately it just came down to, to timing. And at the same time, it was obviously Y Combinator is an exceptional program. I knew a lot of folks that went through it, obviously Webflow went through it. So I was very connected to that community. It was by far, it was, it was by no means a, a sad story to, to have to pick Y Combinator over Techstars but ultimately that's what it came down to.
0: All right. So you're in Y Combinator. You're in this program. You have this really nascent company at this point. You've now raised a total of a couple hundred thousand dollars between some friends and family and the program. What happens next? Oh, and you have a co-founder whom you met at yes. Webflow. So what exactly. happens next?
1: Yeah. So we moved out to San Francisco. We got in an apartment there really close to campus for the four months that we're out there. And ultimately, very close to, it was like day one or just before, we were talking to Michael Seibel, who is our lead partner there, and he was asking us, how are we planning on implementing this? Because we truly believed that in order for this to work, we had to have a wide variety of perks, but we also had to eliminate the reimbursement program, which at the time meant that we would probably have to make direct relationships with all of these companies. So I was... Calling Spotify and emailing head of partnership at Netflix and trying to get meetings with them to basically say, Hey, yeah, we're this startup. Basically, we want to put like a credit card on file that will allow you to bill one card, but then it's technically for like potentially thousands of different accounts. And they're like, Well, how many customers do you have? And it's like, Oh, no, none. And they're like, Ah, sorry. Come back when you have, you know, 50,000 people that are interested in using this. Sure. And We learned really quickly, and Michael Seibel kind of pointed, that you're NY Combinator now. You need to show progress and growth over the next few months before Demo Day. You can't spend the entire time just making these partnerships. So he he encouraged us to think about switching to a different business model, at least in the short term, to, to make revenue, to get started quickly. How could we kind of fake something into working now? And that's what led us to what the first iteration or like first real business iteration of Zestful was, which was the uh, team activities and outings. So we switched Zestful from an employee perk program to being a concierge for team events. So when you go out and do happy hour with your team or bowling or go-kart racing or any of those for a short time there uh, in early 2017, there was maybe a likelihood that Zestful was the one that was booking that with your manager. And we, We ultimately, I'll kind of skip through this, through YC, that's what we built. We ultimately uh, worked with about maybe 100 companies over that time, some big ones like Twitter and Cruise and Facebook, at least certain teams within those programs. But ultimately, very quickly learned that A, it wasn't a business that we could really solve with software. It wasn't something that we were really able to make automated without human uh, involvement. And second, it wasn't really something that I was passionate about doing. Really, any of the team was passionate about doing. And this was in past YC. We raised a little bit of money after YC. We used that to ultimately continue pressing forward with the the idea of doing the team activities and team outings. And in October, November of that year, we were realizing one very important thing, which really hit me personally, which was... We were building something that ultimately our employees or employees that we were selling to didn't want at all. In fact, they didn't like it. We would have uh, these messages that would go out after an event that would say, What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? And we started to get a lot of messages that were ultimately like, Yeah, I didn't really like it because at the end of the day, I spend 60 hours a week with these people that I work with. I don't really want to go bowling with them on a Friday night. And we were kind of getting feedback from a lot of these companies that their employees didn't like doing this. And it wasn't that they didn't like Zestful, but they didn't like doing the team activities and outings. So we're going to hold off for a month or a quarter or ever. And we learned that when employees don't like the product that you're selling, even if we're selling into HR or team managers or CEOs, if the employees don't like using the product, eventually it's going to go away. And that was really hard because we were spending so much time and effort building something that hopefully these employees would like. And they weren't, and it wasn't because of Zestful. It was mostly because they just didn't like the idea of doing these team outings. So this was, like I said, end of 2017, we were running low on cash. We'd ultimately had spent all of the the money that we had raised up to that point on salaries for people and contractors that were helping us book these team events. And like I said, we were never really able to get it automated enough to where there was an efficiency that would ultimately make it so that we could make a profit on these events. So end of 2017, we kind of decided, let's, let's shut it down and think if there's anything else that we want to do here. So it was around that time, we ended up letting go of our contractors. Anybody that was working with us, we got other jobs. Um, my co-founder and I were kind of left with this decision end of the year. What do we do? Do we keep Zestful going or do we uh, shut it down? And it was kind of around that time as well where my co-founder Jeff got an amazing opportunity with a company on San Francisco where they were ultimately working on things that he was very passionate about. So it was a very easy decision for him to go, I, I kind of vote that we kind of shut it down or we should think about shutting it down. But this was an opportunity for him that he couldn't have passed up. I certainly didn't want him to pass it up. So we decided at that point that he was going to split ways and, and go do his thing there. I was going to kind of figure out what we were going to do with Zestful on my side. And, and in I the
0: was, meantime, Matt, yeah. you were still doing some contract work, right? Some freelance work to make ends yeah. meet on the home front.
1: So ultimately, in, at the end of 2017, we were kind of shutting things down. Uh, I mean, Jeff and some of the other folks had already cut their salaries drastically. And I still had a salary to help pay for my mortgage and things like that. But by the end of 2017, we ended up cutting everybody's salary. And I ended up going full freelance mode at that point. So it was kind of a day-to-day working on Zestful, trying to see what we would do there, but then ultimately also working on freelance. And that was 100% where all of my bills and and payments were kind of coming from. So early spring of 2018, I'm ultimately left the decision of, I I need to shut Zestful down. We had a little bit of money in the bank. We had like $30,000 in credit card debt as well. So we actually owed money, like shutting down Zestful was gonna cost us 30 grand or something like that. So it was kind of a hard decision to say, well, it's actually cheaper for us to keep it alive and see what we can do with it than to shut it down. And I'm glad that we did if only because it was around that time where I had a friend that introduced me to people that were working with Visa and with Stripe, the payment processing companies, and they just had a new kind of API and new technology that Visa was releasing and were wondering if ultimately we'd be interested in taking a look at it. And that's where we realized very quickly that we could leverage some of this new technology to then make the, uh, make what we have today in Zestful, which was the perfect employee perk program, eliminate the, uh, the hassle of the operational side of these perks, but also be able to build a massive, massive catalog of products. So, starting in really May of 2018 was the second life of Zestful, coming in, employee perk program, no longer team activities, and we had, like I said, maybe $5,000 in cash in the bank and $30,000 in credit card debt. I ultimately used that remaining $5,000 to pay a couple of contractors to help me build out this iteration of Zestful. I was obviously building out the front end and doing a lot of the product stuff with Webflow, but I still didn't have the technology chops to build the back end and you know, the signup flow, the login, and then certainly some of the technology that we were using on the payment side. And that was ultimately what set out to be probably at least professionally the hardest 10 months of my life where i was working 40 hours a week or more on zestful during the day and then also working 40 to 60 hours a week on freelance full time to pay my bills and to make sure that we you know my mortgage was being paid on time and to pay so, contractors
0: okay matt i just want to jump in here cuz i think this is a decision point i don't know if this is the trough of sorrow but sounds pretty close to it and the point i want to make is you had a really difficult choice like okay so there was thirty thousand dollars in credit card debt so arguably that was a reason to see what you could make of this i get that point but that's pretty small in in context you could have gone and gotten a high-end product job anywhere Mm -hmm. probably made a pretty darn material salary you were so well connected in the yc and by that time the tech stars universes and had lots of options what made you stay with this after working so hard on it for two years and really not seeing a lot of things bear
1: fruit? Yeah. I think that I, it's funny. My wife and I were talking about this literally yesterday. And I have no idea besides the fact that, again, going back to what I said earlier, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be happy doing anything else except it doesn't necessarily, not necessarily zestful, but certainly something of my own. Uh, I couldn't go and work for somebody else. I was already at this point. People knew that Zestful was slowing down. I had a lot of YC companies that were reaching out to me directly. So either join their company or work for them. And the salaries were lucrative. Um, they were, in a lot of cases, remote. And I still couldn't do it, knowing because, again, I had worked at Webflow, which I would have considered as the, the most perfect job for me. And I still wasn't happy. I, I, I knew that there would be no job in the world that I could take and be happy. And I think that it was it was really the opportunity that came around where the mission that I had for Zestful was still to originally, how do we change the way that companies of any size can truly reward their employees and make them feel recognized? That was still something that I wanted to create. So the question was less of a, do I take these other jobs and opportunities? It was more of a Do I shut down Zestful, clean slates, and then ultimately at my own pace, maybe start this new company or idea on top of it and ultimately decided not to. I I thought that there was still some brand value in Zestful. I loved the investors and folks that we still had as a part of Zestful and wanted to continue with that. So it was a very hard decision, probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. But I know that it was the best decision, even if things continued to go hard for those 10 months. And we'll kind of talk about that in a second if I would have continued to do the freelance side with Zestful, go through that process working 80 hours a week, I still think that I would have been happier doing that than going to work at another company and making a high salary.
0: So pretty much other than, I guess you went to University of Colorado for a few years and your marriage, this is the longest term commitment you've ever had.
1: Yes, for sure. And it is kind of funny too, because I've been, so my wife and I have been together for almost 12 years now. And it's, it's one of those weird things that in my life, the only true things that I've been able to stay committed to are my wife and doing web design in some way and then zestful now.
0: Wow. Okay. So where's the company today and sort of where, since being in the trough of sorrow, what's (laughs) happened?
1: So during the trough to sorrow ultimately went through a few different contractors and it's not their fault at all. They were fantastic. It was ultimately that I was paying them so little to work on this because at the end of the day, it was me paying them with my freelance money. Um, they couldn't continue to work on Zestful for, for that long of a period of time. What ended up happening was in summer of 2017, uh, two incredible people ended up joining Zestful basically full-time. One of them, Max Richman, who was ultimately, you you call him employee number one here at Zestful now, was an engineer. He was working on a very similar problem to to Zestful, but in the teacher space. So ultimately, he was giving the opportunity for teachers to receive these cards that they can then use on school supplies to receive gifts from and that type of thing. Ultimately, wasn't able to make it work, but Zestful is obviously very similar to that technology. So he was able to help and jump in there. And then another big piece was, in fact, our very, very first investor, who you know as well, uh, in Malta Mjönke, joined Zestful ultimately as like an interim CTO. I had been talking with him and emailing him and kind of asking him like, hey, I'm kind of at you know, wit's end, I don't have any freelancers or contractors, would you be willing to maybe just help me? Like make sure that the, the code that these people have been working over the last couple of months works well. And he said yes ultimately started working with Zestful in August of 2018 and then never really left. (laughs) After a few (laughs) weeks, it was kind of like he was, we chatted and he was like, you know, I kind of like doing this. Is it, would it be possible for me to stick around full time? And I think this was via Slack because I started doing probably some sort of like funny dance of excitement because of it. Um, Because I think Malta is one of the most incredible engineers on the planet to have him working on Zestful full-time would have been, is a game changer for us, and I knew it right away.
0: And, and Malta so was one, of, one of the creators of, just to land this, I mean, what, what's a sentence on Malta so people know who he is?
1: Uh, many of you have probably used his service. Ultimately, he was one of the co-creators of GoToMeeting, which then later sold to Citrix and then worked for Citrix for many years.
0: Right, so we just, uh, you, were, you were fortunate to know him through your network of your freelance yep. work. Okay, so you brought on Malta, you brought on Max, and Mm -hmm. where are you today, and what's happened Mm -hmm. since?
1: Yeah, so then, again, that was in summer. We worked on it. Um, I paid them both very, very little, uh, like 500 bucks a month, I think, for for them to work on Zestful during this time period. And it was funny, I met with uh, somebody in October, or actually it might have been end of September, And this was right at the time where I was thinking, do we raise money or not raise money? Because I I truly believe, and I tell people this, especially founders, that there are two good times to raise money. And that is when you have a lot of momentum from traction. So you're doing really well, customers are signing up left and right, or you don't have a lot of traction and you can tell a very compelling story that traction is right around the corner. And mostly this was like kind of a part of me where I realized, I could continue for the next six months doing this double life where I'm working. I would call it the night shift. I would go home after Zestful and then I would say to my wife, eat dinner, and then ultimately work another six hours on freelance work. Or do we try to raise money now with a very compelling story, but no traction, and hopefully put that to bed and I can work on Zestful full time. And I'm glad we did because ultimately we kicked things off October 1st. I, I sent out some emails to investors. We got one cold email from Bessemer Venture Fund on that same Monday. So this was unrelated. This is a cold email, interested in talking. Long story short, Bessemer ended up saying that they would fill the round or coming into the round by the end of that week. So we had already ultimately closed our round by the end of that first week in October. They, they mentioned they didn't need to fill the round, but they could. And we should try to get other investors to come in as well. Ended up getting uh, one of my good friends, long, uh, kind of the, the full circle from Techstars, Natty Zola, who is managing director of Techstars Boulder, was the person that was interviewing us when we were going through Techstars. Um, his fund, Matchstick, came in right after Bessemer, really right along the same time. Um, a couple other emails that I sent out to San Francisco worked well. And then ultimately, we we closed our round within... 30 days of sending out those emails. And it's kind of funny because it's a time period was really quick, but looking back at it now, I realized that it was really two years in the making to make that happen because it was relationships and work that we had done over the course of the first 18 months that made that one month of raising money. So effective, um, ultimately raised, um, was finally able to pay myself a salary, pay my two engineers a salary. We got health insurance and everything situated. We felt like a real company again. And that's when things really, really changed for Zestful. It felt like we were a grown-up company. Product was right there. And we launched to a handful of customers. The very first iteration of Zestful in October of 2018 was that you could create a single allowance. So you could say, hey, we're gonna give everybody $50 And then you can use those products or use that money on the products that are within the Zestful catalog. And at the time, we had maybe 200 products, Netflix, Spotify, HBO, a bunch of gym memberships and online music services. And that was it which was great, but we got very quick feedback right away that there was so many use cases that they wanted to use Zustful for. They wanted to not only give 50 bucks a month on Spotify, Netflix, and HBO, but they also wanted to give $50 a month that they could only use on fitness and health, and you know $1,000 a year they can use on education. So we kind of teased them with this concept of giving allowances and rewards, but they wanted a little more customization. So we had just raised money, which to me kind of gave us an opportunity to say, we don't need to really get revenue today. Where at first, you know, in October, if we didn't raise money, it would have been, let's try to get revenue ASAP. But because we raised a little bit of money, I realized that maybe it's the perfect time, end of year, slow sales. No one was really going to our site and requesting demos at this time of year because of the, the holidays. I said, let's hunk them down and let's try to rebuild Zestful and make it exactly the way that this feedback was coming in for. And that's what we did. So ultimately, uh, over Thanksgiving, I mocked up an entire new interface and concept for Zestful. Still the same concept, allowances, perks, but very different as far as functionality goes. And I remember Malta coming back after Thanksgiving, and it was kind of one of those, "Uh, Malta, I think I did something. Um, You're not going to like it, maybe. And I showed them. Everybody loved it. And Malta ultimately built this entire product in about six weeks. So a very new product. And that's what ultimately led us into January. We launched this new iteration of the product at the end of January. And that kind of puts us at least up to, up to date.
0: And now you have traction.
1: Yes. And now we have traction. Actual um, traction. We have almost a 1,000 products in Zestful, which is amazing. We have hundreds or thousands of employees that are using Zestful. And ultimately, just a, a month away from a public launch, we're onboarding companies that are not only small, you know, 10-person startups, but we're also working with a handful of companies that are easily into the thousands of employees as well.
0: Matt, hearing your story of raising this, this most recent round of institutional capital led by Bessemer, Brings up a question for me that I'm asked a lot, and it's something you did extremely well, which is you managed to create a sense of urgency around this round that allowed you to attract a lot of attention from some very well-respected venture capital firms. What's the secret to how you did that?
1: I think that the secret to raising money anytime is momentum. And like I said, you can get momentum in those one of two ways, either really good traction that just can't be ignored. If you're an investor and you're looking at something that's growing up into the right, it's hard to resist. But if you don't have that, you need to show a sense of momentum in other ways, which for me was, look at what we've done in such a short period of time. Look at the product that we've built in such a short period of time. We had a lot of demos and customers that we were talking with in such a short period of time. Because of that style of momentum, it was very easy for investors to understand that although we hadn't we didn't have something built and ready, we didn't have customers that were using this, it was very easy for them to understand that once we did have funding or very quickly after, we would have some of that traction just because of the story that we were able to tell.
0: Hmm. And you've made a decision not to build this company in the Silicon Valley, which I know was not an easy decision. and it you know it used to be five, 10 years ago, that Bay Area venture capital firms would not invest if they couldn't, what was the rule? You had to be able to drive or get on a train. You didn't want to get on a plane to go visit a portfolio company. Yep. How easy or hard has it been to stick with your conviction to stay in Colorado?
1: I think honestly, very easy. Um, and I think it's kind of two factors. One, because again, I'm, I'm very driven and passionate about being here in Colorado. I like the, the ecosystem here. My family is here and my wife's family is here. So there's more of a personal aspect that makes it easy. But secondly, I think more commonly, in fact, I have a handful of people just in the past couple of weeks, one today, that is uh, even a YC alum that's asking me, hey, I'm thinking about moving to Colorado. So more and more I see these companies that are moving away from San Francisco to places like Colorado. And all of a sudden it almost feels like we're the cool kids. And I have to play host to these incredibly talented people that were living in San Francisco for the last 10 years that are now looking to explore their options outside of the Bay Area. So I think that we're right at the beginning of a trend where it's actually going to become easier to start and run a company outside of places like San Francisco. And one last thing I'll say on that, I have a handful of friends that still obviously work and live in San Francisco, have companies in San Francisco, where they've actually said it's difficult to convince people to live there, to move there. Because they're already living. Yep, it's so expensive. They're already living in places like Colorado or Salt Lake City or Austin. They have a house. They have a mortgage. Why would they want to move to a place like San Francisco where they have to give all of that up?
0: So, Matt, you've learned a lot about what makes employees happy. You've acknowledged that you learned about yourself that you'd make a terrible employee. Mm -hmm. How are you going to build a company where really creative, super innovative, out of the box thinkers? feel happy to come to work physically or show up to work every day at Zestful.
1: Yeah, I think that, and it's funny, I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking talking about this exactly, and it was how do you make everybody on your team feel like they're the hero in their own story, and I think that's the approach that I've always kind of taken to this is when ultimately everybody that's on the team right now in Zestful has considerable equity in the company. I consider them and treat them as part owners of the company, certainly, but almost as a founding team where they're directly responsible for the success of Zestful. And I let them know that. And I give them full authority to make those decisions to not only be the hero in their own story, but to be the hero in Zestful's story. Mm. At the end of the day, I think you need that, regardless of how big your company is, you need to be able to give your team and your employees that sense of ownership. So then they wake up in the morning, they know that they can work hard on something and receive some of that credibility or credit for it happening.
0: Do you ever worry that Zestful, which is this employee perks program that's unique and super customizable, but do you ever worry that companies adopting something like Zestful will miss a core element of building culture like what you just said, making everybody a hero in their own journey?
1: I, I do actually, if, uh, if, because we've had a bunch of people that sign up where I'll look at their Glassdoor reviews and they're awful and they'll sign up for Zestful and it feels like they're trying to use Zestful as that Band-Aid where it's, hey, we, we don't really have a lot of happy employees. Let's start giving everybody <laughs> $15 a month on Netflix and things will be good again. And that's, that's not really what we're trying to sell. We're not, we're not trying to be that you know, super easy fix. I think that we're just a small piece and in, in a very important ongoing strategy for, for companies to create that perfect culture.
0: Okay. That's, I'm glad you're thinking about that.
1: Mm-hmm. And Matt,
0: you've spent some time thinking about principles of conscious leadership and we have shared friends with the Conscious Leadership Group, which have done a lot of work in this area. Mm-hmm. And you're very self-aware about your own leadership pattern, one of them, about being distractible and that that being something that you face every day. Mm-hmm. What's one way day-to-day that you've been able to leverage the benefits of your enthusiasm and mitigate the downside risks of that behavior as a CEO?
1: I think that as a CEO and as a founder, I think at any given time, your biggest responsibility is to keep momentum, another word that I like to use, high within the company. How do you get people excited every Monday, every Friday to say what we're doing actually matters, you matter, let's get work done and be excited about it. So I think my high energy certainly can apply to that, to getting people excited about what we're doing, especially people inside of the company. The piece that I'm very aware of is you're exactly right. I am very, very bad if it comes down to organizing my time, things that need to get done in a certain time frame, I'm probably not going to get done in that time frame. But I'll be very optimistic and take it anyway. So what I've done is ultimately I tell my entire team at any given time, that I should A, not be doing that stuff. If there's something that is time sensitive and important, I actually try to delegate it away from myself. Um, And ultimately now that we have a team of six people, those things I've basically completely taken off my plate. So I've, I've identified things that require me to have that type of attention span and have ultimately given it to people that may or may not at the given time be better than I am at it, but will certainly get it done.
0: That's great, Matt. I'm glad you've been able to be that aware and also let your hand off the lever to do that in so many mm-hmm. situations. So if we're talking on this podcast or some other format by ESP or whatever we're using 10 years from now, and you want to be remembered for this stint, which could be five years and it could be 50 years, mm-hmm. as CEO of this company, Zestful, which is z e s t f u l dot com. hmm What's the one thing you want people to remember about this role for you as you?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good, I've actually thought about that a lot as well. But it's less of a, I, I don't really care about the, the world knowing what I've done. I don't want to go down as maybe the person that reinvented employee perks or, or anything like that at all. What I actually really look forward to being remembered as is almost only by the individuals that were working at Zestful with me. For two reasons: one, because I look at Zest or Webflow, sorry, in that exact same way. Where when I was at Webflow, it defined so many of the opportunities and things that I have now. I want everybody that's working at Zestful over the course of Zestful's life to look at their experience at Zestful as as that to them. So going down in, in quote unquote history, my goal would be that everyone that touches Zestful, be it probably an employee, certainly somebody that was involved in, in creating what we have today to, in the next phases of their life, hopefully starting their own companies or doing their own creative things, looking at Zestful as an opportunity that gave them the either education, uh, encouragement to do those type of things.
0: Wow, Matt, that's really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. So for those of you who are in charge of people or talent at your companies, check Mm -hmm. out Zestful.com. But what we've also taken away or what I've taken away from talking with you, Matt, today is that Zestful is a great way to support employees and the things that they want to do to make themselves happier and more fulfilled. And there's lots mm-hmm. more you can do as the leader of people. So Matt, mm-hmm. thanks for sharing all of that wisdom, your tough journey, your really wonderful path ahead. Thanks for sharing that on the podcast today.
1: Oh, Thank you so much, Sue, for having me.
0: As always, Real Leaders is brought to you by Leadership Camp, created by MergeLane. You can find out about the next scheduled leadership camps, relationship camps, and mini camps, and reserve your seat today at leadership.camp, a website built on Webflow by Matt Vogels, the current CEO of Zestful, who's on to much more important things. Thanks for being with us this time. We'll see you on the next episode of Real Leaders. And if you have comments, feedback, questions, critiques, whatever, find me on Twitter at TellSue. See you next time.